Many years ago, when I was younger, I remember for Lent, I decided to give up complaining. I must have heard somebody encourage the idea, you know, don't worry about giving up sweets or soft drinks or anything. You should probably focus more on giving up complaining or giving up gossip or giving up jealousy or something like that. And as I went through Lent, I, you know, I was really committed. I was not going to complain this year. But I noticed about halfway through Lent that if I was being honest with myself, I was complaining just about as much as I had always been. That even though I was trying to not complain, I couldn't help it. I was still complaining. So it didn't really work. It didn't, it, my intention maybe was good, but the, the product, the outcome was not what I had planned. And I think it was because there was something deeper going on. And that's usually the case whenever we do what we don't want to do. As St. Paul so wisely said, that we find ourselves doing the things that we precisely don't want to do. We don't want to sin deep down, but yet we still find ourselves sinning. And the problem with giving up sin our fasting from sin is that we find ourselves too weak to do so. Well, we are beginning a new season of Lent, and this is a great opportunity for us to revisit what fasting is all about. And today, we saw in the readings that the temptations to sin go all the way back to the very beginning of time when God created the world. And we have that beautiful story in Genesis chapter 3 where God has this garden of Eden with um, this paradise, and Adam and Eve, man and woman, chose to sin. They chose to turn their, their backs against God. What's interesting, I mean, there's so much to say about just that one little reading that we had in the first reading today, but, but one thing that I want to point out to you today is that Adam and Eve noticed that the tree of, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which was the, the tree that God said don't eat from, they noticed that that tree had three particular qualities about it. And that is that it was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. So you'll, if you go back to the first reading, you'll see those three things said. That they noticed that the tree that they weren't supposed to eat from was good for food, desirable to the eye, and, uh, well, good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. I'm going to just make that real simple for you. These are the three original temptations. And I'll speak a little bit more about it in a second, but just to, to make it real simple for you to follow. These temptations are pleasure, possessions, and pride. Why does Jesus go to the desert before he begins his ministry? Was Jesus really tempted? Is that even possible for God to be tempted? And the answer is yes, Jesus was truly tempted because although he was 100% God, he was also 100% human. And in his humanity, he experienced all that humans experience, and that includes temptation. So he was actually and truly tempted in his humanity. And what were the three temptations that Satan chose to tempt Jesus with? 
None other than pleasure, possessions, and pride. The same temptations that Adam and Eve experienced in the garden. Why does Jesus go to the desert? Well, there's a lot of reasons, and we could, have all, we could say so much about that, but, but one reason that I want to say is because Jesus becomes a new Adam. Jesus recapitulates the experience of Adam, but he redeems it. As Adam and Eve sinned, Jesus conquers sin in the desert. As Adam and Eve fall to temptation, Jesus conquers temptation in the desert. And which temptations were those? They were the three primary temptations that all of us experience all the time. So I want to unpack those just a little bit more clearly for you, just so you can see that I'm not making this up. This comes from people way smarter than me throughout the centuries of the church. So I'm not making this up either. So the first temptation, it was good for food. Food is not intrinsically bad. We have to eat. We have to survive. But it does provide pleasure, doesn't it? And sometimes whenever we, in a desire for more and more pleasure, we tend to eat too much and we experience the negative effects of gluttony. But that sin of, of pleasure, of comfort, of, of luxury, of overindulgence is a mighty temptation that all of us experience. What was the temptation of Jesus in the desert? The, the, the devil appears to him and says, if you're so hungry, this is 40 days after Jesus ate nothing. If you're so hungry, why don't you turn these, tones, these stones into bread? Again, appealing to that, that need for pleasure. But Jesus conquers and says, no. The second temptation of Adam and Eve was for, they noticed that the tree was Desire up, delight to the eye. It was delightful to the eye. What does that mean? When we something, when we see something that's desirable, we usually attempt to possess it. That's the whole reason why we love money so much, so that we can purchase, control, obtain things that we want. We want to get stuff. We want nice clothes and nice cars and nice homes, just nice things, nice technology. We want to accumulate. We want to control. We want possessions because it's desirable. It's delightful to the eyes. What is the temptation of Jesus in the desert? Well, Satan recognizes that ever since the first sin in the garden, Sin was all over the world. And in a, in a real and true sense, Satan has a grip on all of the world. He possesses the world to some degree by his sin and by his control over all of our lives. And that none of us are immune to it. So God becomes man in Jesus Christ to reclaim his kingdom, to reclaim the world, to reclaim all the nations of the earth so that it belongs to him and no longer to Satan. Satan notices and recognizes and understands that Jesus wants his world back. And so he tempts him. He says, look, I'll give you all of these kingdoms. Look how amazing they are. I'll give them back to you. If only you bow down and worship me. True temptation 
for possession, to possess the world. Even, there's a, even when we have a holy desire to possess, Satan tries to twist it and make us want to possess it beyond, beyond the boundaries of what we are permitted. Jesus, of course, says no to the temptation of possessions. And then the third temptation in the garden is that the tree was desirable for gaining wisdom. Remember that the serpent told Adam and Eve that, oh, the reason God doesn't want you to eat from this tree is so that you don't become wise like God. So in other words, wisdom in its true sense is a good thing. But wisdom in this context, what we're really talking about is a false wisdom. We're talking about pride, a desire to know things by our own capacity without God and to become greater than God through our understanding. It's a false wisdom. And Satan appeals to Jesus in the desert in the same way. He says, if you're the son of God, just prove it. Throw yourself off this temple. In other words, why are you going around hidden for 30 years and no one even knows your God yet? Why are you being so mysterious about your divine identity? Why are you fasting hungry in the desert for 40 years? No one's going to understand you. No one's going to believe you. Just prove it. Imagine if we, when we hear someone tell us, just prove it, I don't know about you, but I'm ready. I'm ready to prove it because I'm prideful. Praise be Jesus Christ that he's not. God is not prideful, and he conquered the temptation of pride in the desert. So what does this mean for us? What, what can we do? So, so ultimately, what, what we've recognized, and St. John was the first to really put words to this in his letter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, he, he, he identifies that there are three root temptations that all of us struggle with, and he puts it in the language as such. He says, the lust of the, eye, of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lust of the flesh, that's pleasure and all the different types of comforts and pleasures that we can experience. Lust of the eyes, in other words, what's delightful to the eyes so that we may possess and obtain and control. And the pride of life. So it's just another way of saying what we've already said. Pleasure, possessions, and pride. And through the tradition of the church, through the 2,000 years of all of the, the great uh, holy people and wise people through the ages, they have recognized that really all sin can be brought back to one of these three things. That if you think about all the sin in your life, you could probably connect each of them to one of those three categories because they, in a sense, umbrella everything else. So what's the remedy? Of course, we know Jesus Christ is a remedy, but what else? Like, how can we cooperate with Jesus to be set free from these unhealthy attachments? In Matthew chapter 6, for those of you that came to the Ash Wednesday service, you may remember that was our reading, and Jesus instructs his followers at the Sermon on the Mount to do three things, to pray, to fast, and to give alms. It's amazing how these three things line up so perfectly with those three temptations. Let's talk about fasting first. Fasting when we actually fast from comforts, not fasting from sin. We should just never sin to regardless. We don't fast. Fasting is about temporarily giving up something that, is, that may or may not, that, that's probably morally neutral. 
when we fast from comforts, we recognize that life is so much more than just chasing pleasures. When we give alms, whenever we give our stuff away, whenever we let go of control and we give our money to those in need, we realize that there's so much more to life than possessions. And when we pray, especially if we pray for humility, we recognize that God is God and we are not. And we throw our pride away. So I just want you to think for a moment. I know that all three temptations are really tempting for all of us. But right now, at this time in your life, at this stage in your story, which of those three Ps particularly has the strongest grasp in your life? Which of those three temptations has the greatest effect on you right now? Maybe it's pleasure. Maybe it's an over-attachment to pleasure. You're, you're constantly trying to be comfortable. You're constantly stressed out and anxious when you're uncomfortable. You complain when you're not comfortable. You have an, an, an overindulgent, addictive personality, overindulging in food, drink, drugs, whatever it is, lust, laziness. Maybe it's pleasure. Or maybe it's possessions. Maybe you're overly concerned and anxious about your finances. Maybe you have a constant, you're constantly thinking about things that you want to purchase. You're constantly concerned about what other people have that you don't. You're greedy, you're envious, you're jealous, and you get frustrated whenever you don't have what you want. Or maybe it's pride. Maybe you're so concerned about your reputation, so concerned about your image and how you look, so concerned about the perfect social media account. You're so arrogant whenever you share your opinions and conversations. You always know better. No one knows as much as you. You're filled with vanity and pride and self-reliance. You never ask for help. You take all the burdens of the world on your own for you to figure out and control, and you never include God in the process. I know that's hard to hear. All of that is hard to hear because all of it's real. And it's all very tempting, isn't it? Listen, I'm not innocent as either. I think we all struggle with these temptations. But Lent is such an awesome opportunity for us to be set free from these chains that are keeping us from Christ. Yes, yeah, so I talk about God's mercy and love all the time, but in addition to receiving that, we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice to let go of all those things that are unhealthy for us, or else we will continue to swirl in our sin and be more and more miserable in life, and we will never taste the glories of God's true love for us. The enemy tried to convince Jesus to avoid the cross. He, get, he tried to get Jesus to have all of his desires fulfilled without Calvary. But Jesus knew why he came to this earth. He came to die so that he would rise. And it's the same story for us. Unless you take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Lent is about choosing self-denial so that we can experience the wedding banquet in heaven. 
There's no other way. We, we must be set free from these chains. And we have to do it with God's help. We can't do it alone. That would be prideful for us to think otherwise. But pleasure, possessions, pride, that's not why we exist. And that will never bring you happiness as much as the world convinces you. Only the cross brings you happiness because through the cross we find life. I believe that the Lord is inviting us to do a little bit more this year. Imagine if we prayed this lit. What if we prayed for humility? Imagine if we fasted this lint. What if we fasted from actual comforts, things that were actually inconvenient for us to fast from, things that made us un- uncomfortable? And what if we gave alms? But what if we gave till it hurt? It doesn't matter who you give to as long as it's not you. Give it to someone else, your stuff, your money, your your possessions. What if we actually did a little bit more this year for Lent? Imagine how much greater Easter Sunday would be and imagine how much more free we would be in our relationship with God. I know this is hard, but I believe the Lord is inviting us to go deeper. It's optional, kind of. Not really, though. But you can do Lent however you want this year and there will be no judgment from me. But you will miss out if you don't pray fast and give alms the way that Christ intended us to do so. Amen.